Well, uh, if you'll turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4, we'll start with verses 1 through 10 today. And when I was reading uh, these paragraphs this week, I thought, this has profound application, especially for Grace Covenant Church, because when you read these sentences, you're, what will dr- kind of jump off the page here is it, it directly appeals to the values and the vision of our church, because it's going to be talking about relational discipleship. At, at Grace, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's our, you know, those are our words, relational discipleship, and that happens here. How does, how does that happen? Um, through the Spirit, Holy Spirit, through truth, the Bible, and through relationships with one another. That's what we mean by relational discipleship, because it's relationships that we have with one another that bring out the best and the worst of us, and it's in the context of that moment of bringing out the best and the worst of us that we become like Christ in all of life. And that's, that's, that's our vision, is to guide, the vision of grace is to guide one another, as many people as we possibly can, to become like Christ in all of life. And we do that in these moments of, of relational discipleship. And when you look at, at uh, today's passage, chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, you're going to see that he's talking about relationships at their worst. He's, he's going to be bringing up why we get into arguments and disagreements and why there's division in the church. He won't leave us there. He's going to explain why, and then he's going to show us the way out, how to bring things back to peace. The topic is going to be relationships, but he's most particularly like anger and jealousy that we have towards one another and uh, the, the spite that that can cause, and that turns into words, and that brings about chaos. War and destruction. Beauty, this is going somewhere, beauty is defined by God's creation working in harmony. And sacred beauty is, is when sacred things from God are working in harmony. And the sacred things of God that this is going to be appealing to will be family and the church, which is often called, called a family. And, and when those work in harmony, when people in a family church, family, or at home, when, they, when we humble ourselves, when we are humble towards each other and towards God, then, and, and constantly looking at opportunities to yield and to serve. Yield was a, a word we, we uh, studied last time together. Then harmony breaks out, and beauty in a sacred thing happens. Now, if we, if we bow up and, and are proud and we are demanding and we're like, it's my comfort that matters and it's my ego that needs to be satisfied, that brings about division. It's going to bring about destruction. War is what he's going to mention. And so James in this section is going to be like red-faced with passion because at stake here is, is the beauty of a sacred thing, the church and at home. And he's going to be... There's, he's going to be talking about the arguing and the conflict that's going on, and he's fundamentally saying, look, it's not a game. This is a sacred thing we're talking about. And so his style is going to like turn up to 11. He's going to put down his coach's whistle, and he's going to pick up like a drill sergeant stripes and a bullhorn. And I want you to be listening for the, the, the military metaphors and the military vocabulary because it's saturated throughout this. And by the end of this, he's going to be picking up that bullhorn and just screaming at us direct orders. Not a lot of explanation, 
just do this. And we'll say, sir, yes, sir. And the reason for his passion is because these are sacred things that we're destroying with our arguments and our conflict. So before we even get started, like with the passage itself, can you think of a time, you know, recently where there was a dust-up in your relationships, where there was conflict and division and arguing and in the last, I don't know, week <laughs> or on the way here, last month, how about those beautiful COVID years we had together? Let's think about those situations, and then now let's look at chapter 4, verse 1, and he's going to talk to us about why those things happen. Verse 1 says, what causes the wars and battles among you? Don't they come from your passions, your pleasures, that war within you? So what is he talking about? He's saying the church or and families, he's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a war zone going on here. And, and the words quarrels and conflicts are literally the words for battles and war. That's that whole military metaphor that he's going to come at us and he's going to say, why, are, why is there so much trouble between the brothers and sisters here? And he's going he's to give us two reasons why we have these disagreements and conflicts. They go deeper. And the, the, the two reasons that cause this infighting. The first one he's going to mention is psychological reasons, and the second one will be actually theological reasons why we get in, when we have so many arguments. Psychological reasons first. It's actually the end of verse 1, but it's the second sentence. Look what it says. What is the source of the quarrels and the conflicts among you? Is not the source your, pleasure, your pleasures that wage war within you? Pleasures and desires, the word pleasures there could be desires, passions, and those are waging war within us. And then they just start waging war everywhere. And, and the word there for passions or, or desires could be positive or negative. It's, kind of a, it's somewhat of a neutral term. It can be a good thing or a bad thing. But even if it's a good thing, it's a good thing gone wild. It's when, it be, when that, good, that desire becomes too powerful and it, because it's not being met. And so we get frustrated and frustration turns to anger and anger turns outward. And we're going to start making things difficult. But it's more, you know, it, but it's, 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 there, he's using a negative word for that expression of desire because literally the Greek word for passions or desires here is where we get the word hedonism. But the word hedonism is a, is a good word here because it's the worldview, it's, it's the whole value system that says that all choices lead to me being comfortable. I should, you know, the chief goal in life is for me to have my ego padded and, and stroked and enjoyed. I want to feel physically better and want, I don't want, you know, I want my ego to be inflated. So he, the question that he asks in verse 1 is like, where do all these battles and, and these wars get started? And he just says this, they, it's, it's when someone or something prevents, pre- prevents me from getting what I want. And I, I, I want to walk into this house or I want to walk into this church and say, everyone, everything must do whatever it takes for me to feel good about myself or literally feel good physically. He talks about these inner cravings, these, that war within us, the, the cravings for 
affection or influence or control or power. It can be just to, to comfort. I just want a hassle-free life. Is that it? That's all it. I just want that, a hassle-free life. That's what these cravings that are inside of us, and they become so important that the cravings are more important to other, than other people, and the cravings are more, more important to other purposes in life. So everything else becomes second. This becomes first. And I want these things met. And so we wage war. James says, look, the sources of these things, it's not a mystery. It's not someone else. It's not something else. It's us. And he's going to say this repetitiously. He's going to say it like there's three different ways. He's going to say there's three different cravings. He's saying the same thing, but he's just restating it differently. Three different cravings, three different effects that happen to us. This is in the second sentence. <laughs> so we're just on the second sentence now. These desire, you desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You're envious, and you cannot get what you want, and so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. He says, you don't get your desires met, so you kill. He's, this is hyperbole, but just like we say, right, it's not, we're like, he's not talking about people literally killing each other. It could probably lead to that. But we say, don't we? Boy, if looks could kill. Did you see what you just said? You just sent that with your face there? If looks could kill. He says, uh, we're envious. And, and because of that, we, we quarrel and we fight. That's the battle and the war words used a second time here. It's, it's the idea that we're using our words... And we found out earlier, those words have the power to light a forest on fire, or a church, or a home. And then lastly says, you know, you don't, you don't have because you don't even ask. You quit, you quit even praying about this. You're too busy, you know, launching rockets to even bring this up to God. And then... And then James, what I love about this, James says, I know what you're thinking. You said you did pray about it. Well, well, let me tell you why it's still not working out for you. Look at the next sentence, verse 3. And then when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. There's the word pleasure. There's that word hedonism again. You're asking for whatever, let's just say stuff. But all the stuff you're asking for is all about you again. Here you are in the center of the universe. And so he's kind of direct. He's, James is drawing attention to the, the style of prayer they have, and we have, and the way they treat God. And we, he's saying that kind of prayer where God is like, uh, like a vending machine, and you put in your two quarters, and you don't get what you want. What do you do the vending machine? Oh, yeah. You're going to kick that. Yeah, you're going to tear it. Right? And so, yeah, you do that to a vending machine. That's what you're doing with God. You're shaking him. You're rattling him. You're turning it on the things that he considers sacred. I'm going to do what I have to to get what I want. And if you have a, a pure motive prayer, has a different view of God in it. It's not about, you know, doing your part so you can get something back. It's not raging desires that are causing that. It's a pure mode of prayer understands the audience is an omni, all-wealthy, all-powerful, great king and creator of all things. 
and you're in submission to that king, and that king loves you and wants what's best for you, and you're going before him, you're saying, I, I want what your purpose is for my family. I want what your purpose is for, for my life. And then you start praying prayers in, in that context of who that audience is. Just watch what happens. Just see what God will do. He'll answer those prayers. So in summary, the first part here that James is saying, he's declaring quite obviously that the reason there's arguments and battles and conflicts is because it's about me being first and foremost in my comfort. And, and we should like think about that conflict the last week or last month or last year and say, how much of the conflict was because you had some kind of passion or desire, some raging war within you, not getting what you want, and so you took it out on other people. Now, the second cause is, is deeper than our psychology. It goes into our theology. We have theological reasons for getting into all of these arguments. And when we look at the next section here, I want you to be listening for the first allegiances in our life what is absolutely the highest priority of what we live and die for. I think everyone in here, by definition, probably, is, has God as an important part of their life, and that's, that's part of the problem. It's not that God is important, it's that he's not first. So look what, excuse me, look what it says in 4 verse 4. He says, you adulterous people, I would use the word traitor because he's talking military. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be friends with the world becomes an enemy of God. James saying, look, soldier, choose your sides. You, you think you can have it, you, you think you can have two commanders? You have to choose one. You can't be friends with, with the world and then be friends with God. You'll be enemies with God. You, you can't fraternize with the enemy. There's a word for that. The word's traitor. You can't flirt with someone that's not your husband or your wife. That's the road to adultery. So it's, it's about a purity of commitment. And like every, each and every one of us has in our souls like a ranking of values. And we have a primary allegiance to something. And a lot of times we don't know what the primary allegiance is, honestly. It, it shows up in our values. And sometimes we don't even know what our values are until that value is not met. And then we have this stirring, this raging conflict within us. We're not getting what we want in our value system. And now we find out, whoa, these values are attached to this allegiance. And this allegiance is not God Almighty. We become angry and bitter and we start you know, bringing this wrath out. Now, James here is the second time, I think, in his epistle that he's referencing the world. He says, if you're friends with the world, you're enemies with God. Friends with the world has, like, two applications. One is the whole world value system. Again, the trillions of dollars that are spent maybe daily to put me back in the center of the universe. And then it's also like a means. The, 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 world, the world way, the world system is also the value that the ends justify the means. You just do whatever you have to to get what you want out of life. There you go. 
as opposed to God's ways of having God's values, God's purpose, and even God's means, God's way of getting things done. That's, that's the war that he's talking about. And that's how we show ourselves to be enemies with God. How does, like, how does that happen? Especially when we're, yeah, like we go to church, right? We're, like we're, we're studying our Bibles regularly involved in our devotions. How do we get to the place where we're enemies of God? Or, or why do we find ourselves traitors or adulterers, in his words? There's two reasons that happens. One is just ignorance. Sometimes when people become Christians, they don't understand. Maybe it hasn't been explained to them, but they don't know that when you become a Christian, your salvation means that you're serving a great king. And, you know, in our culture, we don't know what it means to live under a monarchy, but it means you do what you're told. It means you surrender everything to that kingship. We've been bought out of, like, slavery, and so everything is, quote, surrendered to him. Our values, our possessions, our ambitions, our reputation, our means of getting things done that have worked so effectively in the past. <laughs> and anything that he lets you keep, good, that's yours. But it's, it's the idea that nothing belongs to me. And that nothing is not just physical, but it's the value systems. Sometimes people just don't know. When they go into salvation, it means it's a surrender to, to all of that. But I think one of the ways that many people fall into this adultery or treason is, is gravity. And gravity never has a bad day. And spiritual gravity that never has a bad day is the unredeemed part of my soul. My spirit is made perfect in salvation the rest of this life is purgatory, and that soul is becoming like Christ in all of life. But it is still depraved. It leans towards me first, my way. I should be in charge, and I should be comfortable. That's one part of gravity. Two is the world around me that feeds that demon inside of me. I'm glad we mentioned demons. The third part of gravity is Satan himself that... <laughs> He's singing the siren song, and somehow I find myself tapping my toe to it. And next thing you know, I'm dancing along with him. Next thing you know, I'm walking into the house, or I'm walking into church going, you know what? I deserve a hassle-free experience here. I'm, I'm pretty busy, I'm kind of tired, and I feel like I've earned a little something here. I want some attention, I want some approval, if you don't mind. If you do mind, I'm going to start a little battle. And I have the ability to turn this thing into a war. So if it's not ignorance, it's just this gravitational pull. And, and James right here is he saying, you've got to choose your master daily. <laughs> you have to choose who's going to be king. Are you going to be a friend of the world? Or surrender to this king. You have to surrender to something. You're going to surrender to gravity or you're going to send, surrender to Yahweh. Yeah, you, you can't, his, his whole thing here is you can't do both. I think the audience, I think we, intuitively, we think we can do both. And so James says, no, you got to, you, when you surrender to God, you surrender to God and his purposes. And by surrendering to God and his purposes, listen, this is 
when you surrender to God and his purposes, it puts your, pri- your priority, your pri- primary allegiance of yourself, your desires, right, and your comfort down here somewhere. Because the priorities of God are going to come in conflict with the priorities of gravity of me, myself, and I. You, you see? There's always going to be a conflict. We're temporal, you know, this part of us, and God has eternal values and eternal purposes. So, like, one of the applications here, so just to, like, brace everyone, one of the applications here is the vision of a biblical church is going to have regular conflict with this gravity, this gravity in me, this selfishness. Let me just say it another way. Like the purpose, the purpose of a God-honoring church is going to run either head-to-head with us eventually or it's going to f- just drift off and it's going to go to the true north and we're going to find ourselves at odds with a biblical honor, a God-honoring biblical church when we've left that trail. It's, like it, it's just a matter of time before you know, a biblical God-honoring church tells us no. And when, he, when, when that church you know, says no to something that we, we enjoy, something that gives us pleasure, something that maybe make, makes us look good, shots fired. On a regular basis, the men and women in this church that are involved in various levels of leadership are constantly asking the question, right, just kind of a fundamental question, how can we best and most effectively get as many people to become like Christ in all of life? That's like the simple sentence decision matrix of what we use to when we're running up against stuff. How do we most effectively try to help as many people and guide them to become like Christ in all of life? And sometimes the answer to that question is in conflict to what some people have considered very valuable to their personal lives. Sometimes they're good, good things. And, but the point is, like, in that decision, in those decisions, people have to respond in a way that says, I'm not first in this equation, I'm somewhere down the list. Or, let's start a little something. Let's get a fire started. Maybe lob a grenade. We've had to end the choir because it answered the question how to help more people get involved and become more like Christ. We're sitting on the grounds of a 25-year-old Christian school. We had to scrape to the ground. Yeah, that's not an easy thing for parents. The style of the building caused a lot of people to get upset. Some people didn't think we should have a beautiful building. There's, there's Bible studies that have ended and various ministries. And I think we were successful in upsetting everyone in the year 2020 with our COVID decision. But it, it's not about the decisions made. It's not really about... Uh, the, what, what eventually happens, but it's how we respond to it. And we don't, sometimes we don't know what our primary directive is. We don't know what our primary value is, the thing that we pledge allegiance to until we see it in a value. And we don't know what our value is until someone says no to our value. And then when we feel that inner desire, 
we have to make a choice. What is our primary allegiance? Because the commander-in-chief of the church said to make disciples. And when he said make disciples, he didn't say when it's convenient, when it doesn't cost you anything, when your kids get out of the house, or whatever it might be, right? He just make disciples. So I guess one application is, is yeah, we're a good Bible church is following God's direction is going to force this issue. And the second application when it comes to this pledging allegiance to this primary source of what, who you follow and what makes your life work is he's, James is saying, put Yahweh there. <laughs> put Yahweh as the, the king of your soul because he is the provider and the protector of who you are. It's because of who God is. It's because of what God has done. It's the very nature of God himself. Why isn't he there? Let me put it another way. Have you seen throne rooms? Have you looked at the throne itself? There's only one, there's only room for one person on that throne. And James is saying, why would it be anyone else but Yahweh, the creator of all things? You need to get off that throne. And because it's <laughs> when we have our ego, our comfort, our ambition, that's on there, that's idolatry. That's treason. And that leads to battles, which leads to war, which blows up sacred things. James says, look, the king of kings, the lord of lords, that means yielding towards that. It means giving up our rights for his purpose, his calling in our life. He's saying when that happens, peace breaks out. You're going to love the consequences of that. <laughs> Your prayers are going to be answered. He's really calling us to repentance. The arguing happens because we have psychological, you know, reasons and purposes in our life that aren't being met. We're looking at, like, God in a whole wrong perspective that shows ourselves idolaters, adulterers. And so we, James is saying, you've got to get this right. And so if you're asking, well, how do we get this right? I'm glad you asked because the next section is going to be, okay, here's how we get there. This is the road to revival and to peace. This, in, in a word, single word, it's the word repent. I mean, and that makes sense, right? Repent. If you found yourself as a traitor, what would you, what would you say you need to do to make this right? I need to repent. I need to acknowledge the things that I'm doing, you know, for the enemy, and I need to take responsibility for that. If, if you found yourself in adultery, what would you say? Like, you need to repent. I need to, you know, acknowledge the things that I've done wrong against my mate and then take responsibility for those things. It's, I mean, it's kind of a simple answer. It's just not an easy answer because, because it starts and ends with humility. Literally starts and ends with humility. I mean, literally, literally. <laughs> I mean, he's going to start this whole section with the word humble yourself. He's going to end with humble yourself. That's the bread in this sandwich here. Because that's the key to repentance. Look, look what he says in verse 6. So he gives, he gives us more grace, and that's why the Scripture says, God opposes the proud, and he shows favor to the humble. 
If I'm proud, God opposes me. Those, those are not good odds. <laughs> so he says, like, so, so give, in to, give in to him, surrender to him. And he's like, how does he do this? This is where, he, where I feel like James is like putting on his drill sergeant hat. He's, 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 gonna, he's gonna just, he's, gonna, he's not gonna explain any of these words. He's gonna give us like 10 commands, rapid fire, like in, their, their, in the imperative voice, like just do these things. Don't think, just do them. Here he comes, Master Sergeant James. Here we go. 10 things. One, submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee you. There's two of them. Submit yourselves to God. Cease fire. Stop fighting with him. Turn your will over, your will, right, your freedom over to him. And then he, and he says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The idea of that is somewhat simple. Like the devil, the world, your own, you know, ego-centered life, listen for that. When you hear, when you hear that in your mind, acknowledge, where is this from? Is it from God? It is not. Then it's gravity. Spiritual gravity that leads us into ruin. He, he goes on in verse uh, 8. Come near to God and he will come near to you. I love that because he's, he's, he's appealing to God in companionship. You draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. He's, uh, God's not like a boss that you check in with, with your to-dos. And you get a pat or a raise. The Bible says we're to call him Father. And then later, in the, like towards the end, he says, no, 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 Abba, which is slang, Daddy. Pursue God in a relational way. Verse 8, he says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. That's a, Washing your hands is the idea of when you do things with your hands. The Bible uses that as like what you're doing with your life. Take responsibility because we're sinning in the context of what we're doing with these desires and starting these skirmishes and arguments. And then, he, and then he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded, thinking that we can have Jesus second and us and our values first. He's, no, you've got to choose your king. So he goes on, and now he's going to talk, at least like in the next, next verse, four commands right after another. Grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter in the morning and your joy into gloom. Remember when I told you, like, he's red hot on fire because of the consequences for this? These are sacred things we're ruining, family and church, by being in division with one another. And he's saying, look, you know, this is like wrong, this is evil, this is sin, not my bad or sorry, get over it. But call it what it is. We're wrecking something that's supposed to be sacredly beautiful. And so he says, when we, when we see the weight of the consequences, like he just says, turn around and look at the wake you're leaving behind. That should cause you to mourn and grieve and, and wail, he says, and gloom. He's frying brimstone now, isn't he? And so James begins and ends with humility. Look at verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up.
when we have various arguments that turn into battles, that turns into wars in our relationships with one another, it, it gives us this wonderful opportunity for relational discipleship because it, it brings to the surface what's motivating us. And he's saying, not only are you like in your own heart of hearts, the way you think about yourself, you think you should be the center of all things, but we also think that we ought to be above God. And that should cause us to repentance where he's saying, you're at war with God. And you're not going to win that war. He's saying, just like humble yourselves before the Lord. Just tap already, you know, early and often. You're going to get hurt otherwise. <laughs> but I love, not only does he just say, humble yourself before the Lord, which is like a reasonable thing to do, but he says, and he will lift you up. The idea is that like you're going to love what he does in your life when you're absolutely and completely surrendered to him. You're going to love being in the heart of his will. You're going to love being in the, like the jet stream of his purpose for all of creation and mankind. You're going you're to have, your dreams will be so petty in comparison to what your life will be fulfilled with when you're living in the heart of God's will. When he is on the throne of your soul, you'll be glad that you surrendered the petty things in your life. That's his call to repentance. You're going to love the life that he has for you. All you have to do is give up the life you have for yourself. That's all you have to do. Humble yourself before the Lord and he'll lift you up. So, grace, here's our call from James. Have you thought about the squirmish, the, the, the little spat, maybe the big thing that you might have caused at church or at home with brothers and sisters in the sacred elements that God has left us here he's saying repent repent come on back repent means change your view and change your direction come on back pursue God and get near him he'll get near you let's have a call to repent as a church and individuals within it let's make ourselves right that God's command for us is to make disciples, to guide people, as many people as effectively as we possibly can, to become like Christ in all of life. We'll count on the Spirit to guide and direct us and empower us. We'll count on the Word of God to help navigate this course. And in relationships, in the good and in the bad, we'll use those as opportunities to show ourselves to be us, honestly. If Jesus were us, that's the goal. So join me in, in a prayer of repentance. A, a, a prayer of revival is what this is. Would you join me? First one, let's just take a second and um, like maybe, turn your palms up. Let's turn our palms up, everybody. And let's, let's hear from the Spirit if we are are part of the problem of what we might have been involved in in the last week, month, years. Spirit, will you speak to us and tell us, as much as it is up to us, how can we be at peace with all men? And Spirit, would you 
would you cut to the quick how these passages apply to us, how the problem have been the desires within our hearts to either just be comfortable or honored or safe. And that's what lit the match. Or even greater still, Lord, that I say, Lord, but you are not Lord. You were second. And you don't play second. You don't even know how. So I confess that while I call you king, I treat you like a servant. But that ends today, right here, right now. The end of my pride and the end of my need to just be satisfied. I surrender. I give up. I, I'm, I'm humble before you, not to be exalted, but because you are the exalted king. I'm humble before you. Lord, I'd add, I, I ask that you would direct and, and give me the courage to take the next steps, to wash my hands and take responsibility, to make things right, that I might be more like Christ in all of life. God might help guide others to become more like Christ in all of life. We ask this in Jesus' name as an individual soul and as a church collective. In Jesus' name. Everybody prayed. Amen.